or you're in to praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on this Resurrection Sunday. He's not in a grave. He's not in a tomb. He's alive and well and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he is our champion. Amen. so hard to see it. it took me so long to believe it that you choose someone like me to carry a victory affection could never earn it give what we don't deserve it you take the broken 
Aren't you glad that he has conquered it all? That he's not defeated? He's not in the grave? That Saturday wasn't silent? Oh, Sunday he rose from the grave. Friday, Satan thought he won. But Sunday, but Sunday, he rose from the grave.
my God is able to heal you. He's able to deliver you. He's able to save you. He's able to make a way where there seems to be no way. He is a miracle-working God. If you believe that, sing that with us. Here we go. My God is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything that He wants to. Just ask the man who was thrown on the bones of Elijah if there's anything that He can do. Just ask the stone that was rolled at the tomb in the
make a dead man walk again. So open the grave, I call it now. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. Cause this is the sound of the child going rattling. Oh, this is the praise, make a dead man walk again. So open the grave.
Because of your cross, because of the empty tomb, because of the stripes that you bore on your back on Calvary, because of the crown of thorns on your head, we stand here today alive. We're able to walk into your presence, Father. We're able to walk into the throne room of heaven because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of the blood of the Lamb that washes us white as snow. Oh 
by live stream. We're glad you joined us this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. And for everybody who's here in person, we are so glad to see such a beautiful group of people. Come on, give yourselves a round of applause for getting so beautiful on 
Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I want to welcome you to service. If this is your first time with us, we have a special gift for you. After service, we want to greet you at the Welcome Center, have you fill out a Connect card to get to know you a little bit more, and then we have a free gift. How many of you love free things? Oh, come on. Also, I do want to remind you that we have a serve opportunity. So we're building a media team that that whole purpose of that team is going to be to put together media that will be used in service. So whether it be sermon clips, whether whether it be video announcements, whatever. So if you, you say, you know what, I have a little niche like that. I'd like to scratch that. Maybe you're just interested, uh, just signing up makes no obligation. You won't be obligated to do anything, but just as an interest. We're going to have an interest meeting, and we're going to share what that is and that vision, but we are putting a team together to help out with media and to do those types of things. Uh, Christy and Tiger is coming to the platform right now. Uh, they have an announcement that they want to get ready to... Uh, come on, Christy, why don't you come? Uh, welcome her as she comes this morning. Good morning. Um Tiger and I are excited to announce that we're going to be uh, hosting corporate intercessory prayer on Sunday mornings. We're going to meet uh, in the room that's off of the foyer from 9.30 to 10.15. And we are just asking uh, if you have a heart for intercession um, to pray for our corporate body, for uh, leadership, for ministries in our church. Um, we're just asking that you would join us. Thank you. Listen, at Life Church, we believe in prayer. We've seen God do powerful things in prayer. This morning, we prayed over the restoration of families. That's something we've been praying for on Wednesday night. And I had an individual come to me with a testimony that God's restoring the relationship between her and her son. So God's doing the work. As we pray and we pound heaven, God's doing it. Prayer changes things. So it's important for us to get on board and to, and to see what God is doing. Do you believe that? Hey, I want to remind you guys, say this Saturday. Oh, come on. That was week. This Saturday. This Saturday, we're having a men's breakfast. It's going to be at the Coffee Depot in Scott. That's going to be for all the men in the house. We're going to have a time of fellowship. It's going to be at 8 a.m. I love breakfast and coffee and fellowship. It's a great thing. So that's this Saturday. Also, I want to remind you guys that May 1st is going to be a special Sunday service. We're doing a celebration service where all of our youth are going to be featured that participated in fine arts. They'll be doing speaking. They'll be doing uh, dances, creative things that they've done. And so they'll be featured in that celebration service. And also, immediately after service, we're going to have burgers. We're going to have uh, slides and fun jumps and stuff. I know the adults will be excited about that. It would be a great thing to get on board. And then also we're going to have baptisms that Sunday. So we got the sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center. You can visit the Welcome Center to sign up that we have baptisms on May 1st in our celebration service. That's going to be a great time. Uh, also, for our graduating seniors this year, we want to recognize you. We want to give you a special gift. We want to bless you, pray over you, and send you out. So for anyone who is a graduating senior this year, uh, go to the Welcome Center, sign up, and we've got something special that we want to do for you, okay? 
All right, Proverbs 3 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with all the first fruits of your crops. Here at Life Church, we've got four opportunities to partner with the Lord in giving. We've got boxes on the back wall. We've got a text to give feature. We've also got a Life Church app, and we've got a giving feature on our website. So we want you guys to be afforded every opportunity to partner with the Lord in giving. Turn your attention to the screen. We've got a video for you this morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday, because that's what it's all about, folks. Hallelujah. On October 31st, 1936, there were men and women that sat around a round table and joined hands, and they were awaiting a message, a message they had hoped that would for the last 10 years on Halloween, but the message did not come. And finally, one woman rose from the table and announced to the others in the room and those that were listening live by way of radio, Houdini did not come through, she said. My last hope is gone. I do not believe that Houdini can come back to me or to anyone. The Houdini shrine has been has burned for 10 years, and now reverently, I turn it out the light. It is finished. Good night, Harry. 
The woman was Bess Houdini, wife of the famed magician and escape artist. And this was said to be the last seance that she would participate in to try and contact her dead husband. And Houdini, who had been known as the man no jail could hold, was dead because he could not escape the prison of death. We're finishing up series today that we've been doing for four weeks, and we've looked at the false narratives concerning the last days of Jesus' life. We looked at the claim that he said that he was the Son of God. We've looked at the claim that he is the only way to God. Last week we looked at did Jesus really die, and if he died, why did he have to die? And today's message is Jesus is alive, true or false. Is this something we really should believe? Or is this some, did he really rise from the dead? Or is it history versus more Hollywood? Which one is it? Which is true and what is false? And of course, I've stated every week, there are people who just don't believe in Jesus Christ. And, and there are others who are of religious nature, I could say that, or the term nowadays is they don't use the word religious, they say, I'm spiritual. We have, and, and which is interesting because we are spirit beings housed in a body of clay that one day this body will be gone and the spirit person inside of us that who we really are will continue to go on. And so there are a number of theories concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ that have arisen over the centuries and I'm going to look at three main ones and whether they are true or false, okay? So the first one is the story that Jesus' body was stolen. The it's a false theory, but this is, this is how it came about. It was actually concocted by the religious leaders and spread by the Roman soldiers who were the guards around the tomb uh, after the resurrection. And we're going to read from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. And it says, And after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. I want you to notice that, because we're going to come back to it in just a second. And it goes on, it says, And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried from the tomb afraid and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers in Galilee. There they will see me. And while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city, reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan 
They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets, gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And then it goes on, it says, so the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The idea that the disciples came and stole the body is false for a number of reasons. First, we just read that it was the guards who spread the story that the disciples had stolen the body and taken it to an unknown location. In fact, it's still a very popular claim, especially among those of Jewish faith because it, it explains the story of an empty tomb and the inability of anyone to refute the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. But there are some problems with this. First of all, some might say that the disciples were trying to fulfill prophecies that Jesus gave while he was still alive. And, and that's the reason they came and took the body. But here's the problem with that. The scripture clearly tells us that the disciples didn't even understand that Jesus had to die, let alone that he was going to be raised from the dead, okay? Let's look at it. In John 13, verse 36 through 38, it says, Simon Peter asked him, speaking of Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So later at the grave, the disciples are confused. They don't understand what's going on. They didn't, they didn't understand him dying, and they surely didn't understand him being resurrected or raised from the dead. John continues and tells us in chapter 20, verse 3, he says, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb, and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know about you, but I, I find that hilarious. Because... Because you have to remember, all through the time that they're following Jesus, they're arguing who's going to be the best, who's going to be the closest, who's going to sit on his right side, who's going to sit on his left. And several times Jesus corrected them. Now, this is John's gospel. He's writing it. So he's like, uh, Peter and the other disciple took off running for the tomb. When the women came and said, he's alive, the tomb's empty, they took off running. And so he just says, you know, but the Peter took off, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's John going, I outran the dude. <laughs> There's still competition among them, okay? I just think it's hilarious. I thought I'd throw that in there. Because this really shows the humanness of who they are. Okay, and it goes, it says, and he bent over, John, he bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying. I, I just love that. <laughs> like John beat him to the tomb, but I ain't going in there. And Peter shows up, get out of my way. And he barges right in, right? And he sees the, the, lining, uh, the linen cloth there. And it says, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, and the cloth was still lying in his place, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, that's John, 
<laughs> Finally, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. But look at this next verse. They still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So they not only didn't understand that he had to die, because they kept asking him, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Are you going to set up your kingdom now? When are you going to set up your kingdom? Because they expected him to come and deliver them from the tyranny of Rome. And instead, they watched him three days before be crucified and mocked in front of everybody. Peter even denied Jesus and ran off crying. And now he runs to the tomb and he sees the strips of cloth just laying there. And they have no idea what's going on because they weren't looking for him to die, never mind be raised from the dead. Okay? Another problem with the stolen body theory is the changed lives of the disciples. At Jesus' trial, his death, his burial, they all scattered and hid for fear of being caught. The only one that stayed nearby when Jesus was on the cross was John because it was before his death that Jesus looked down and said to John, behold your mother. In other words, take care of my mom. The disciples were cowards, but when they saw Jesus alive, they became bold and outspoken. Jesus was the theme and his resurrection of the earliest preaching of the apostles. They placed their belief in the resurrection at the very center of their faith. And here's the key that we have to understand. If, and I say that only because of those who doubt, if they had stolen Jesus' body, and then they were killed, and most of them brutally. If you read what happened to those original 12 minus Judas, we know what happened to him. All but John died a ferocious and horrible death. I would not even go into some of the details of what happened to him. But if they died and they had stolen his body and hid it, then they died for what they knew was a lie. Now, sometimes people will die for what they think is true, but I don't know anybody that will die to cover up a lie. And it's unbelievable that none of them ever denied belief in the resurrection of Christ in spite of the suffering and persecution. And finally, the, the greatest problem with this stolen body theory is if the body was stolen, how did Jesus keep showing up to people over the next 40 days? Okay? The second theory, false theory, that is always out there and is that the women went to the wrong tomb. Now, you got to really stretch things to believe this. The idea is that the tomb that they visited was empty. It was the wrong tomb, but it was empty. And so they jumped to the conclusion that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so they spread this rumor to the disciples, and the disciples went and spread it all over the place that Jesus had been raised from the dead. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a couple serious problems with it. First of all, 
if the women went to the wrong tomb, then the disciples who took off running to the tomb went to the wrong tomb also. Come on now. And secondly, if they had gone to the wrong tomb, all that the Jewish authorities had to do was go to the correct tomb and show that it was still sealed and that his body was still there. And it would have ended the rumors concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, the greatest problem is if the body was stolen, how did Jesus keep showing up? And I'll just throw you another one in there. The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, graves opened all over in the area. But no one came forth out of the graves until Jesus came out of the grave first. And it says, then others came forth out of their graves and went into the city telling people about the resurrection of Jesus. So imagine you're sitting there on the day after the Sabbath and you're cooking breakfast in Jerusalem. And there's a knock at the door. And you open the door and, and there's your uncle who died 20 years ago. And he says, good morning. I have news for you. Jesus Christ is alive. And that happened multiples of time all across the city. When people you know who have been dead show up at your house, I mean, you know, your parents, your grandparents, cousins, siblings, whoever, and they show up in, in flesh and they are alive, who are you going to believe, Roman soldiers or the person standing in front of you? Come on. Wrong tomb? I don't think so. The biggest, probably one of the biggest arguments about the resurrection of Christ is that his resurrection was a hallucination. And some people try to answer the question of Christ's resurrection with this false theory. They, they say that people that thought Jesus kept showing up alive, but they were actually hallucinating because they wanted to see him alive and they believed it so much that he would come back. Well, again, the first problem is that something that we've already looked at, and that is that the disciples didn't believe he would come back because they didn't believe he was going to die. And once he died, they just said, it's over. In fact, we, we see in Scripture later when Jesus appeared to them, they're back fishing. Several of them are out fishing again. They've, they've given up. There's no future. There's no whatever. They're back out fishing again. They were devastated. They thought he was dead and gone. They were expecting him to deliver them from the tyranny of Rome's grip and to establish the kingdom. He was the Messiah. They were going to have a part in his kingdom. And even after some of the disciples, not all of them believed even though some had said he is alive. We all pretty much probably know the story of Thomas. He has the nickname Doubting Thomas. 
He didn't believe Jesus was alive. He was a skeptic. He wanted proof. He said, until I'm able to stick my fingers into his hands and my hand into his pierced side, I will not believe. But here's the problem with the hallucination theory. If these people were just hallucinating, then where was the actual body? Because again, all they had to do was go to the actual tomb. And can I tell you, it, Roman guards do not just walk away from their posts because they do so under the penalty of death, of abandoning their posts. Why didn't the Jewish or the Roman authorities produce the dead body of Jesus? All they had to do was bring out his dead corpse and wheel it up through the streets of Jerusalem and all the resurrection talk would have stopped. The truth is that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead and he is alive today. In fact, Jesus predicted he would rise from the dead. I want to show you four things that make it so, that prove that he is alive and from the dead. He's been risen from the dead. And the first one is that Jesus predicted he would rise. I, I remember as in my younger years, uh, going through grocery market lines and they would have those uh, weekly magazines, you know, that had all these crazy stories, you know, Elvis was seen by Martians and, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. But every time around the end of the year, first of the year, they would have all these prophecies or predictions by a man named Nostradamus. How many of you have ever heard that name? And he has a great following of people who follow. Many of his predictions, some of his predictions have come true. Many of them have not. But if you, the thing is that most of his predictions are so vague and, and um, confusing that the, almost anything could fit to prove that interpretation. Or how about, I know, I hope you're not, you don't do this, but I know people who, they get up every morning, and the first thing that they do is they check their horoscope. Used to be you'd look it up in the paper, and now they got apps for it. And, and, and they think the stars and the heavens are going to tell them what's ahead for them, what prophesy, what there is for them. Uh, I know, you know, I mean, I know people who are crazy enough to follow the little piece of paper in a fortune cookie. Can I tell you? I've been at a table with eight people, eight preachers, and six got the same thing. I don't think so. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? But Jesus' predictions, his predictions were, weren't ambiguous. They, were, they weren't generalized. They were very clear and very specific. In fact, in Matthew 16 and 21, it says, from the time... On, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Now listen to me. Jesus began teaching them this, and they did not understand. They could not comprehend. How many of you know that if you have a preconceived notion in your mind, you can hear something and not hear it? Because you're trying to hear it in the, in the framework of that which is already in your mind. And Jesus was telling them this. And immediately after his death, 
even his enemies began to quote the predictions of Jesus. This is incredible. When your enemies are quoting the guy, you, you, you ought to take notice. Look what it says in Matthew 27. It says, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember. This is incredible. They remember, but the disciples don't remember. We remember that this, while he was still alive, <clears throat> that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead, and this deception will be worse than the first. Over and over throughout the Gospels, Jesus not only predicted that he would be mocked and that he would be flogged and that he would be crucified, but he, that he would actually rise from the dead three days later. Jesus predicted it with clarity. The second argument concerning his resurrection is that eyewitnesses saw him. One thing is hearsay. I don't know if you've ever watched courtroom drama or been involved in courtroom or anything like that, but you'll have someone who will get up and say, I heard that so-and-so said, and the opposing counsel will stand up and say, objection, hearsay, your honor. In other words, they didn't hear it. They're repeating what they heard. They say they heard someone say, we can't enter this into evidence. And almost every time, it will be overruled because it, it is hearsay. They said that they heard somebody say this. Well, there's no way to prove that, okay? So what we have here is that Jesus predicted that he would rise from the dead, but they have eyewitnesses, not one, but multiple eyewitnesses on multiple occasions who confirmed and confessed that they saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. In fact, the apostle Paul, who was not an apostle in the beginning, he was, in fact, he was a person who was persecuting the church. He was an unbeliever in Christ. He was taught in the ways of the Pharisees, of the Jews. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 3. He says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Notice, he's saying, in other words, what I'm telling you is of the utmost importance. In other words, I'm going to tell you a lot, but don't miss out on this. This is key. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, most are living, some have already died. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. The apostle Paul is saying this. He said, over this 40-day period of time, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he was seen by men, he was seen by women. He was seen by skeptics. He was seen by believers. He was seen by individuals. And at one time, he was seen by five hundred people at, at the same time. 
Dr. Edwin Yamamuchi, Associate Professor of History at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, he said this, what gives special authority to the list of witnesses as historical evidence is the reference to the most of the 500 brethren being still alive. St. Peter or St. Paul says in effect, if you don't believe me, go ask them. This is what this history professor is saying. This, he says, of all the reports, the greatest one is that 500 people were there and saw him. If you don't want to take my word for it that I've seen him, go ask them. Go ask them. And then he goes on and says, such a statement in an admittedly genuine letter written within 30 years of the event is almost as strong evidence as one could hope to get for something that happened nearly 2,000 years ago. If you don't believe me, go ask those that were there. Eyewitnesses report carry great weight in a court of law. Between those who say, I heard somebody say, and those who say, but I can tell you I was there. And I could tell you what I saw, and I could tell you what I heard. The third thing is that history supports the resurrection of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the main message was of the disciples after Jesus rose from the dead? Do you think that they went out preaching sermons like, turn the other cheek? Do you think he said, give to the poor? Do you think that they went out saying, do as unto others as you would have them do unto you? No, it wasn't any of those things. The main message of Jesus Christ and his, his disciples was that Jesus is alive. In Acts chapter 2, the day that the church was literally born with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up and begins to preach, and he says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Can I tell you, for your first sermon, you're not going to win a lot of friends that way. But he goes on. And he says, but God, say but God. <laughs> but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And going down to verse 29, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. And God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. 
He makes no bones about it. He's not making up stories. He's saying, I'm telling you, this is what you saw. This is what you know. This is what we've seen. This is what we know. And now we're putting it to you. We are witnesses to the fact that God has raised Jesus to life. And within a generation of Jesus' life, documents were written about his death and resurrection. And if you treat them honestly as historical documents without prejudice, in other words, erase your unbelief and look at it for face value, the historical records are as plentiful and as reliable as any ancient event we know of. In fact, I could have taken a whole day and gone through and compared them to the works of, of, of Plato and, 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 and Shakespeare and, and many of those. Very few things have been preserved and yet nobody questions that. And yet there are hundreds of historical documents concerning Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. F.F. Bruce of Manchester University said, if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. There are other historical documents outside the Bible that speak of the resurrection of Jesus. For example, there's a compilation of 5th century Jewish writings. This is five centuries later that acknowledged that the tomb was indeed empty and that in these writings they proceed to try and explain away the empty tomb. This is outside of the Bible. These are just historical writings. They acknowledged the tomb was empty, but they try and come up with ways and reasons as to why. And it confirms that Jesus was crucified and buried and tries to explain how the tomb was empty. And even this document that was written by non-believers believed that Jesus was not in his tomb three days later. They just don't want to believe how it happened. The resurrection of Jesus couldn't have been preached or believed for a single hour in Jerusalem if it were not true. Come on now. There would have been too many ways to discredit the claims and disprove the evidence. And yesterday as I was thinking about this and praying and thinking, I said, Lord, there's, there's this, I could stop right here and go on to the end, but there's one more. And then it just came to me. And that is simply this, that the church ever came into existence and you are here today is proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, many of you today are here as a direct result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. 
And I am persuaded. I am convinced. There's no way you're changing my mind that he is able to keep that which has been committed unto him against that day. What day? To the day that I stand before him or he calls me when the trumpet sounds. He said, whichever one it is, I know. You know what would be great on this Resurrection Sunday if people that sit in churches that profess to know Jesus would walk out going, I know, I know, I know. You know, people would look at you, what you know? I know. And then you say, I know in whom I have believed. It's not a story. It's not a myth. It's not some kind of mystic idea or philosophy. I know the person in whom I believe because I am a result of being changed by his power. By his name, he set me free. By his blood, he delivered me. And by his power that raised him from the dead, the same spirit that raised Christ is now alive in me. That's what the Bible says. So this brings us to a, a place because when you build an argument there, then there has to come a crossroads, a question. It comes to a climax. Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead never to die again? Why? Because the consequences are enormous. Because see, Jesus' resurrection sets him apart from all other religious leaders in anyone else who has ever lived. All other religious leaders were powerless to death, proving their humanity. But Jesus had power over death, proving his divinity. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ, the anointed one. I've said it before, and that is that the resurrection of Christ is the cornerstone and foundation of our belief. If all we have is him dying on the cross, then we only have half the story. Because I may have his blood to wash away my sin, but I do not have resurrection power. I do not have the hope of overcoming death. I do not have the hope of the future. I don't have any of that. It is an incomplete story. You can't tell one part without the rest. It's like those who want to preach grace, but they want to leave out the law. Grace is of no substance unless I know that the law is convicting me. If I stand convicted because of the law, imagine a court of law and you stand convicted. You've done something. You know you've done it and, and you cannot deny it. You cannot get out of it. Then grace means nothing unless you're standing against the backdrop of going to prison for life. You can't preach grace. It has no power to set you free without that. Because when I preach grace without the law of God, the problem is then grace becomes a slippery slope. 
In other words, it comes without any consequence or understanding. Did, am I making any sense to you? But when I know that the law has condemned me and that by grace I am saved, I am delivered, I am set free from that, then grace now holds a greater truth. The resurrection of Christ is foundational to what we believe because all of what Jesus said and did falls if the resurrection fails. But all that Jesus said and did stands if the resurrection is fact. All of it. Not just some of it, all of it. At the beginning of this message, I told you the story about Houdini's wife who said that her husband, she and her husband before his death, he said I, he would slip the bonds of death and he'd be able to communicate with his wife best. And before he died, shortly before he died, the two of them made a pact so that Bess would know if Houdini was actually able to communicate from the other side. And they devised a coded message that only Houdini and his wife Bess would know. And if that message came through, then Bess would know that Houdini was breaking through from the other side of afterlife. But after 10 seances and over 10 years, she had not received that coded message that was personal that only she would know from her husband. And the message was based upon a combination of words that corresponded to a secret spelling code. And Houdini's secret phrase spelled out one word, believe. That's what she was looking for, the word believe. Jesus did more than just communicate from the other side. He rose from the grave. And he gave evidences and he gave proofs that he was alive. Do you remember what he told Thomas? Do you remember what he said? In John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 27, Jesus turns to Thomas. A week has gone by since he first appeared to the disciples and Thomas is wrestling with these doubts. Is he alive? Is he not alive? And suddenly Jesus appears in the room. I don't know about you, that would get me right there. Somebody just appearing in the room, right? But look what he says. He turns to Thomas, because Thomas has said, unless I stick my fingers in his hands and my hand into his side, I will not believe. And here Jesus appears. And he says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe it. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now look at the next verse. Then Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. <laughs> see, you can't see Jesus, but you can have 
You can hear the evidence. You can see the evidence. You can believe the evidence. And Jesus is spelling out one a one-word code to you and me and every other person who's alive, and it's the word believe. Believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Like the painting that you just saw drawn, you don't have to be able to see or understand everything clearly before saying yes to Jesus. You don't have to have all your questions answered to make a thoughtful decision to believe in Jesus and to follow him. 
You must simply believe. God's plan to restore communication with his children is complete. His plan to reestablish relationship with his creation is finished. And the question simply is, where do you stand now? Are you ready to respond? But listen, this is important. And that is simply this, that everyone comes to God the same way. Through the only way, through belief in Jesus Christ and who he is. The Bible says he is the son of God. He was born of a virgin. He lived his life without sin. He died on a cross to pay the price for our sins. He was buried in a tomb for three days and he was raised from the dead. The question is, do you believe? And you may say, I believe. But that's not enough. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought that was enough. You must believe. But there's a part that dovetails into that belief. Because the Bible says that demons believe and tremble. So it's very possible to, as a human being, to believe and say, I believe. Well, devils believe. They tremble. I know people today, they say they believe and they don't tremble. And my point is simply this, that to believe brings about a change. I cannot change myself. I have tried. For years I tried to be better, do better, and not but I kept tripping over the same sins, the same issues in my life until I surrendered to Jesus Christ. And so what I'm trying to say is then if you believe then you must recognize this by surrendering your life to Jesus. Somebody might say, "Well, that's works." No, it's not. Jesus did all the work. He paid the price. He did everything. All he's saying is, if you believe, come follow me. There were those who came to Jesus and said, tell me, what is the way to eternal life? What is the one thing I need? And Jesus told the rich young ruler, he said, sell all you have and then give to the poor and come follow me. In other words, if you believe in me, you've got to come follow me. You can't just sit from a distance and say, I believe. I, I believe. And there are lots of people today who are just like the people in the days of Jesus. They believe, but they believe from afar. And I didn't understand this when I was a young teenager and I met Christ. But it became clear over a period of weeks and months in my life that he didn't just die to pay the price for my sins so I could have a get out of hell free card. He died that I might become a follower of his. And that meant surrendering my life to him, surrendering. You say, well, he's not going to take it. He's not going to demand it. He's not going to twist your arm to follow him. He simply says, do you believe? If so, follow me.
Because in following him, there's going to be an act of surrender. Because we, we naturally want to go our path. We want to go our direction. But to follow him means surrendering those things and trusting that he has something better in store. Can I tell you that the, the best thing that the world has to offer cannot even compare to the least thing that Jesus has. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge of who you are, and the minute you were conceived in your mother's womb, he, God knew you. He, he put within you a divine DNA, that a plan, a purpose. And, and people are wandering around today looking for a plan, looking for purpose, looking for hope. And the church that has the answer is sitting back quiet and going, I don't know either. I wish I knew what the plan was. It's follow Jesus. I can tell you, it's, it's been over 52 years since I surrendered my life to Christ. Could I tell you that he, all the things in my life that happened since doing that, I would have never dreamed it. But it's not over. He says, follow me. He didn't say, follow me till you can retire. He didn't say, follow me uh, until you get your pen for 30 years. He didn't say that. He says, lay down your cross, lay down your life, and follow me. You have to surrender to him. And I don't know about you, but it's really not hard to do when I realize that what he's offering is a true relationship with the one true God. Not outward religion, not a, a structure of beliefs, but to know him personally. Personally. If you believe this morning and you are ready to surrender, then we're going to pray a very simple prayer. In fact, I'm going to put it up on the screen you're going to be able to see it and from right where you're at there's nothing magical or mystical or super religious about the words it's whether or not it's heart meant whether it comes from your heart or not but if you're ready to say I believe and I'm ready to surrender to follow Jesus then would you pray this prayer with me and the Bible says, pray it out loud. For the word of faith is near unto your mouth. As you pray it, you know what happens? Demons tremble. I said, when you pray this and they, they hear you meaning it, demons tremble. Oh, I don't know about you this morning. I'd like to send another trembling through the kingdom of darkness this morning. It happened on the morning of resurrection when the stone rolled away and they realized that the one they thought they had finally captured was alive. But today, it's going to happen again. Right now, pray with me. God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was born of a virgin and lived a sinless life. I believe he died to pay the price 
for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe he rose from the dead to give me life forever. Forgive me of the wrong things I have done. Create in me a clean heart. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I ask you to come and live in me. I give you full control from this day forward. Holy Spirit, teach me about Jesus. Teach me how to obey and follow him the rest of my life. Amen. And the Bible says that if you pray that and mean it from your heart, in this moment, there's been a new resurrection. There's a new life that's taken place. You have come out of the kingdom of darkness. You've been raised out of death, the death of sin, the death of sin in your life. And you've been raised, the Bible says, to newness of life in Jesus Christ. Your past is washed away before God. All those things that you've done, the sin, they're completely under the blood of Jesus Christ, never to return. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. They're not coming back. God has wiped your slate clean before him, and he has declared his name on you. He has adopted you into his family. You are now a child of the Son of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I would encourage you, if you're here today, or if you're watching by way of the Internet, if you just prayed to receive Christ into your your life, then would you just simply send a text to that number up on the screen and just say, I received Christ or I did it. <laughs> yes, I did. Whichever one you put in there, I'm going to know, I'm going to know that someone prayed to receive Christ. And the Bible says that there is rejoicing going on in the midst of heaven right now for those who have been saved, those who have given their lives to Christ, those new followers in Jesus. And if there's rejoicing in heaven, there ought to be rejoicing in the house of God. So let's stand together and rejoice for what Christ has done, Christ is doing, and what Jesus is going to do in the near future, and he's going to do it through you. Amen. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he kept me. My sins for away. Rising, he justified. Freely, forever. One day, he's coming. Oh, glorious day. Jesus is mine Cause living he loved me Dying he saved me 
sing the next chorus along with Justin. But if we'll pray with you about whatever that need may be. And I pray that this would be a fruitful day for the kingdom of God. Because many of you are going to be with friends and family. I pray that you're able to rejoice in the Lord's presence. But I pray that God would open many doors for some of you. Because you'll have that opportunity to share the hope that comes through that precious name of Jesus. God bless you. We love you. Amen. One day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the storm rolled away from the door. But then he arose from the death he had conquered. Now is a sin. My Lord evermore Whose death could not hold him The grave could not keep him From rising again For living he loved me Dying he saved me Buried he 